Welcome to episode 171 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Howdy, John Follett. Howdy, Dirk. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about wearable and embeddable computing, all on our way to becoming uh, cyborgs in the future, I suppose. So we're seeing a lot of interesting things, interesting research, interesting technology coming uh, along the lines of this evolution from the wearable devices, which we see in uh, uh, large amounts right now, whether you're talking about uh, fitness trackers uh, or fashion, and then you know moving from these wearable devices to electronic clothing, which we're beginning to see, and then finally into the, the realm of uh, embeddables, so computers that are, uh, you know, inserted into your skin or or otherwise. Embeddables are the future, John. Yes, the, that's that's what I'm told. Um, there's a, a lovely design experiment uh, that you pointed out to me, Dirk, of a uh, a student uh, name of Lucy Davis who who made these high tech fingernails, essentially having a uh, RFID tag for her her subway pass that was embedded into her fingernails so there's there's a video of of her uh going on the tube and just laying her hand on the uh on the card scanner uh very conveniently opening you know the uh the gate there so she can get to the public transportation all because she has these um you know uh fingernails that uh that contain the rfid tag so I thought that was a great hack or, you know, design experiment on, on Lucy's part, uh, just because it, w- it was so practical and it also gave us a little bit of a glimpse into, you know, what was possible in terms of interacting between, you know, human and machine. Mm-hmm. What, you know, when you first saw that video, Dirk, what, what did you think of it? Oh, I think it's you know it's it's the nascent um, embeddable future um, coming coming to life. I mean, it's an example of um, why embeddables are are the way to go, which is convenience, which is um, sort of integrating the digital interaction into how we move through the world instead of through you know analog cards of the past or clunky smartphones of the present. Um, and I thought it was great that a student is doing it. You know, it's so often it is the younger people who are seeing the opportunities and, and putting together um, solutions um, because they're, they're able to see the world from a frame of reference that's more modern than older people whose frame of reference is um, just definitionally more dated. Yeah, there's a company down the road from us in Cambridge called MC10, and some of their work uh, is uh, creating uh, small attachable computers that basically look like stickers and can include everything from, you know, wireless antennas um, uh, to, you know, a tiny battery. So so it can be you know, more complicated kinds of interactions than, than what we saw with, uh, with Lucy's experiment. Uh, additionally, uh, MIT Media Lab, working with Microsoft Research, uh, has created a, a smart tattoo called Duo Skin, which is essentially, um, uh, you know, this, this tattoo-like metallic um, 
uh, covering that allows you to interact with uh, you know things like your phone, uh, but providing the interface on your skin as opposed to a you know a clicker or some other you know Bluetooth device or, or near field. Uh, device that 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 might work in such a way. So making the skin uh, the the uh, the user interface, um, and these are all I, I I like that that all of these are are really sort of in their early stages. They're you know experiments, um, but it, it it strikes me as both. Um, uh, wonderful, and then at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of wondering. Uh, it's such a custom uh, type service or, or design. I, I, I kind of wonder where it's going because it seems like if you have a a tattoo, right? That's that's very personal. Uh, so so the is the user interface for uh, on skin tattoos going to be different for everybody? If I want, you know. Uh, each of my fingers to do something, you know, totally different from, you know, what, what you're doing. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot of details to work out. Yeah. I mean, eventually though, it will be very custom, right? I mean, we're right now, we're sort of in the clumsy hacky start of things, but um, eventually be very integrated and very custom. It's, you know, our, our whole society has been shifting towards an acceptance of these things. And I'll, I'll talk about a few different things. I mean, one of them is, uh, frankly, the, the existing old-school analog tattoos. We've seen over the last 15, 20 years those move from the realm of lower-class slash tough drunk guy on a bad night realm of society into you know many soccer moms running around with tattoos. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. There's been a huge social shift to mainstream acceptance of tattooing as something that is done by many um, many parts of society, not just um, certain and generally more marginalized ones. So the, the trend to tattooing is also a trend to a comfort level with body modification, which is sort of greasing the skids for... Um, for the future, for sure. The other, the other trend uh, to talk about is plastic surgery, where you know that one is not as mainstream as tattooing yet, but there's a lot of people who are really comfortable, you know, getting their boobs sliced open and having, you know, bags of jelly shoved in there, or um, who are really comfortable having their face chopped up in different ways to look younger, or. Or if it doesn't work out well, sometimes it doesn't look younger. But right. um, there's there's definitely a segment of society that's super comfortable with everything that goes with with plastic surgery. And now we've got the digital stuff and the science catching up. And the, the comfort level on that isn't here yet, but it's going to come. And there's a few examples I'll use. One is um, it was in 2000 or it was in 2000 that I got um, LASIK surgery. So. Um, that's a surgery where you are laid down on an operating table and your eyes are literally carved open and altered. You know, if you had told me in 1990, 10 years before, oh, hey, Dirk, there's going to be this thing you'll be able to do and they'll carve your eyes open and you'll be able to see better. I would have said, that's gross. No way. I would never do that. That's crazy talk. Um, but in those ensuing 10 years, as the technology changed, as the social acceptance changed, my view on it changed, and it reached a point where scientifically, I, I, I use scientifically as if it's in a lab, but this is in a more you know applied um, with 
you know, with what optometrists, with, with what eye doctors are doing, it's, you know, they're saying, no, no, hey, this is safe. It's okay. You can come in and do it. You know, it might be painful. There might be this side effect, that side effect, these bad things, but you're going to be able to see well, and it's going to cost an affordable amount of money and, and not take very much time. It's like, sign me up. Let's, let's go for it. And, and that's, that's an um, example of the impact that science has on our perceptions. Just in the last week, I read two stories that um, made me very uncomfortable. One was about a face transplant, and you know I've read about face transplants in the past, but this one was and I, again it's it's a little too gross, so I didn't click into the story. But it was about um, I think a firefighter, or a soldier, or someone, and it showed in the little like photo caption for the story this photo of like this disfigured face, this photo of like this face that looked like it was wearing an odd mask, to this third photo of this face that looked slightly off, but slightly off. Um, and that was like the face transplant thing. I didn't want to go deeper into the story, you know, wimpy, wimpy little me. But, um, you know, face transplants are a thing now, right? And so that story today is going to make me feel a little weird. At, at some point in the future, I'll meet someone with a face transplant. Um, it'll feel a lot less weird once it's real and it's a person and not just this thing that seems seems bizarre. The other one I read um, this week was about hand transplants. So a child had their hands transplanted and is talking about how miraculous it is, how life has totally changed, how wonderful a hand transplant is. And I'm reading this story. I'm looking down at my hands. I'm like, I can't imagine somebody else's freaking hands on my right. body. Like, oh, my goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> lock the front door. But, uh, you know, um, th this is the evolution. Just like in 1990, I would have thought it was nuts to be strapped down and, and have my eyes cut to try and fix them. Um, Ten years later, I was like, yeah, lock, you know, let's do it. Sign me up. Right now, these things are seeming odd, but I'm sure if I was burnt horribly and disfigured and, and was hideous um, to, to look at, I might be interested in a face transplant even, even today, right, if it's sort of the necessity forcing forcing it in. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to throw a lasso around all of these different trends from tattooing to plastic surgery to um, the, the, the beginnings of, of massive um, transplanting of the self with faces and hands um, to where embeddables are going. And it's, it's just, it's inevitable. In the 2020s, that will be the decade of a lot of things. It'll be the decade of driverless cars and it'll be the de decade of embedded um, digital technology, um, you know, again, I, I've probably mentioned this on the show before, but when I give talks now around anything in this direction, I, I say to the audience, uh, by 2030, I'm, I'm confident I'm going to be a cyborg, and probably a lot of you are going to be too. And, and you see their faces like, no fucking way. But, um, you know, in, in 2025, it's, it's going to look a lot different. Yeah, I, I, I'm beginning to be more and more aware of these uh, trends towards uh, embeddable Computing, which is uh, sort of what started this this discussion, and part of it, I think that uh, that that I find interesting is that the evolutionary steps that that I see happening towards in, you know embeddable computers are much the same steps that uh, we saw with digitization of information and and. Um, uh, portability of of um, computable devices, right? So, so for each of these steps, there were these oddball experiments and and um, you know uh, products that were released to the public and that that flopped terribly. So so this this uh, this trough of failure, right? But it's really all about early adoption, right? And 
and uh, experimentation, and then also uh, seeing where products are just not going to be uh, functional for people and, and where they need to improve. So sometimes those improvements happen, you know, in, in, in a technological area. Uh, so, so for the ubiquitous MP3 player, at least until the iPhone came along, that, you know, part of the problem was that, that storage wasn't cheap enough, right? So as storage became cheaper and cheaper, uh, you could carry a couple songs and then all of a sudden you could carry your entire music collection. Mm-hmm. And Apple sort of famously solved that, that problem at, at the right time. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, we have these... Uh, um, you know, tattoos that can be user interfaces. You have uh, nails that can, you know, open up the uh, the subway gate. Um, and these are all, you know, sort of interesting functions, but they're, you know, they don't have universal applicability. So, so as the technology from MC10 gets smaller uh, and and smaller and and easier to produce, I, I think that's going to, you know drive adoption as well. So, so you talked a little bit about the societal trends, the acceptance of having, um, you know, these things on your skin or, you know, in your flesh somehow. Um, the other side of it is stuff gets smaller and smaller. It's not going to seem quite as odd because, you know, it's the equivalent of taking a pill or, you know, getting an earring put in, right? So it's going to become less obvious as the technology gets better. And, hey, you're going to go home. And when you're in proximity of your house, your air conditioning is going to turn on. The, you know, the coffee pot's going to turn on. The TV's going to click over to the news. And your favorite music's going to be playing when you enter the house because your house knew you were coming, right? Could probably do that now. Yeah, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it, John? I mean, you know, a big part of it is the relevance of the solutions, right? So one of the things I liked so much about the story about the student and and the subway is it's a solution that makes sense. And it's a solution that isn't, it's also not scary. Like, I would do it today. If I had a daily subway commute and if she had a package where I could pay her, I don't know what the what my threshold would be, but certainly a hundred bucks would be an auto buy, right? Um, if I could pay a hundred bucks and she would give me the kit to make it so that my fingernail was my subway card, I, I would do it today. I mean, no question, because for a small amount of money, for, for really no intrusion into the self, basically, um, I don't have to take on my wallet anymore. I don't have to mess around. I can just wave my hand as I walk through. Um, pretty pretty great, right? And the problem right now with embeddables, and I think why embeddables seem scary to most, is that the the, the stories you read are clumsy. Uh, you know, there was one last year about um, German teenagers who embedded lights into their hands. And the lights that they embedded were like these big, chunky red lights, and they had like these big scars on their hands. I'm like, oh my God, like, it's so intrusive. And for what? So you can have this novelty thing, like... After you've done it, like, the second time to a person, be like, yeah, enough with the lights, dude. Like, I get it, okay? It's not cool anymore. Um, Whereas getting in and off the subway, I mean, that's a utilitarian thing that you need to do every day, uh, multiple times a day uh, for, you know, for folks who are relying on that kind of transportation. So it's all about the the use cases, you know, the use cases synthesizing synthesizing with the social readiness, synthesizing with the right technology so it's not overly intrusive, um, you know, relative to uh, to people's tolerances to alter themselves. Yeah, I think I think we're we're right on the early stages of it. And what's kind of nice about embeddables, and, and you know, as far as emerging technology goes, is it's 
it's enough out of the mainstream that you're not getting the uh, insidious hype cycle that we're getting with the Internet of Things right now where everything's going to get solved by the Internet of Things. And um, uh, I think for some of these experiments to uh, be able to, you know, take place and, and for people to sort of learn from those mistakes or, you know, uh, and sort of build uh, – this area, this design language, whatever it is that's going to make these things possible. I, I think, you know, the hyper attention on certain types of technology just makes it that much harder to experiment. So I'm glad for this this time where embeddables are not on the news all the time and they're not going to solve you know, enterprise, uh, 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 uh <laughs> embeddables for the enterprise. Yeah, That's I, when you know you've made it. Yeah. I, I, I dread the first headline that, that talks about how we all can be, you know, having our, our chip cards embedded in our hands so we can access the, you know, the conference rooms more easily. I think I'm going to run screaming. Uh, well, yeah, happens. I mean, at that point, I mean, when, when those things are happening, it'll more be we'll have some sort of a universal chip and it'll be a software update, not a hardware update, right? Right. The, comp- the company software will be put into our our thing, but it'll be our thing. Yeah, that's uh, that. <laughs> now you've totally scared me. <laughs> Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to the digitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O dot com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 171 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and I'll see you next time.